Well, again, welcome and a blessed, blessed new year to you. Uh, if you're a part of Resurrection Life Church, we're asking everybody to go through growth track. And it will begin again every month, but it begins next Sunday right over there in the chapel. Uh, you do need to sign up. You can just do that right online. Please, if you have not gone through growth track, go through. It is going to bless your life. And you probably heard a week from tomorrow, we're going to begin our annual 21 days of prayer and fasting. Excited about that. Next Sunday, we have the Hage. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I was on the phone with him yesterday for about a half hour. We were talking about what he's going to be doing. And uh, while he's here, it's going to be great. And then the following week, I'm going to start a series of messages entitled Solomon Says. Now, um, yeah, tomorrow, as of tomorrow, I'll have been lead pastor here for 34 years. Um, and during all that time, during all that time, I, I have never preached the messages that uh, we've got coming up, even on the subject for most of the, for most of the part of what is coming up. So uh, it's going to be really, really exciting. I'm very, very excited about this next series that we're going to be doing. Uh, although every time somebody asks me, what's the best you've ever done? I always tell them it's the one we're going to do next. You know, how many need to be excited about the future and not the past? All right. We're not settlers. We're, we're pilgrims. We're, we're frontiers people. We're moving on ahead. All right. But today I want to continue talking to you about attitudes of praise and worship. Now, as it's December 31, somebody says, aren't you going to talk about going ahead, putting something behind and, and reaching for what's ahead? Well, honestly, I think that what we need in this new year is we need an attitude change. We need a check up from the neck up for the hardening of our attitudes. And we need to have the right attitude and the right attitude to have is an attitude of praise and worship. Now, most of us as Christians, we're consumed with asking God for things. Most of our, our, our relationship with God, our time with God is consumed with our asking. We want physical things, emotional things. We want financial things. You know, we ask, 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 and it's things, things, things. It's about our car, our job, our house, our kids, our vacation, our marriage, our emotions, our, the new boat, the new car, the new dress, you know, stuff, 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 stuff. And that's where most of our relationship with God is. I, I got to thinking about it. In fact, I was thinking about it right before I came up. And, and honestly, I would dare to say that in my relationship with God, less than 2% has to do with saying, God, we need this, we need that, I want this, I want that. Less than 2%. And our relationship with him should not be based on God being a cosmic bellhop and our going to God to get what we think that we need. But with that, look at the attitude we're supposed to have in Philippians 4, even when it comes to petition, it says, be anxious for nothing. Well, my favorite translation here says this, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So even when it comes to petition, it's supposed to be with thanksgiving. Now that, that's where we, we tend to miss this. What we do is we're not happy where we are. We're not thankful where we are. And so we say, God, get me this. And if I get this, then I'm going to be happy. But here's the truth. 
If you are not happy where you are today, you will not be happy with what happens tomorrow. If you are not happy in the trailer you live in today, if you are not thankful in the trailer, you will not be happy in an 18 bedroom mansion. Because thing, your life, Jesus said, your life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. And we think, well, I, I don't have a good thing. And if I get a good thing, then I will be thankful and I will be happy. But the truth is, if you are not thankful where you are today with what you have today, you will not be thankful with what you get. See, you say, well, if I got a new car, yeah, you might say thank you three times. And in a week, you'll be kicking the tires. You'll be upset. You know, because we don't have a thankful attitude. So the Bible is saying when we make petition to God, we need to be thankful. Thankful for what we already have. In our society, we have got a you deserve it mentality. You, you can't watch television very long. It's going to be an advertisement. You deserve it. You deserve it. Well, the truth is this. You don't deserve it. Everything you received, you received from God. In fact, the Bible says he holds your breath in his hand. And everything you receive is by grace. The definition of grace, don't deserve it. Didn't work for it. It's not that we deserve it. We should be, we need to be thankful where we are. If we're thankful where we are, we'll be thankful when we get blessed. We'll be thankful when something comes. How many of you know the thing that nothing irks you more than an ungrateful kid? <laughs> you, you give them something for Christmas, they look at it and, like, and you're like, I'm never getting them anything again. <laughs> I think God's kind of like that with some of us. All right Now, let me ask you. <laughs> what would your relationship with God be like if you were stranded on a desert island? So... You, 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 you don't have any financial needs. You don't have any, the, all your, there, there are just no needs. What would your relationship with God be like? For some of us, it would be non-existent. Or what would it be like if you were in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve? They had no needs. They had no problems. There, there, there were no mother-in-law problems. No family problems, no spousal problems. They had perfect spouses. Well, but, but, what, was the, what they did was they communed with God, they ministered to God, they worshiped, they were thankful. The Bible says that God came down and walked with them every day and talked with them. It was about fellowship. You see, the Bible says in Revelation 4.11, and for his pleasure, you were created. You and I were created to give God pleasure. And what gives him pleasure is when we're in fellowship and communion with him. And the bulk of our time should be spent in fellowship and communion with him, not in God, I need this, I need that, I need the next, the next thing. Uh, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that relationship with God, and all the things will be added to you. Put God first, ministering to him, and then the stuff is gonna be added. Think about Jesus as he teaches us to pray. He said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He starts out, it's not about what I need. It's my relationship with him. It's about ministering to the Lord. And then it's give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver 
us from evil. But then it's back to for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Petition is not wrong, but if all of our relationship with God is based on petition, it's very, very lopsided. Now, in John chapter 17, in verse 3, it says, and this is eternal life. Now, John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. So basically, this is what is Christianity. Now, most people think Christianity is you die and you go to heaven. That's what Christianity is. Or I'm forgiven. But this is eternal life. Now, Jesus is going to tell you what it is. How many think Jesus has a clue? All right. It's not die and go to heaven. It's not just you're forgiven. This is eternal life. That we may know you, God the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. So eternal life, salvation, Christianity, is about knowing God. It's about a relationship with God. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, That which we've seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Again, what is, what, what is salvation about? It's about fellowship with God. It's relationship with God. Our, our relation, we, we, we need to come to the place where in our relationship with God, that God is more real to you than your house, than your car, than your spouse that lays in the same bed at night that you do. They are more real to you. The Bible says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what we're going to be doing, no matter where we're going, no matter what we're doing, we're giving thanks. We're doing it in the name of the Lord. As the Old Testament prophet Elijah, this was, this was kind of like his line every place he went. He says, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand. He's saying, I'm in God's presence right now. And that was true in the Old Testament. But listen, in the New Testament, as believers, he's not only in our, we are not only in his presence, but he is living on the inside of us. And we need to be very, very, very aware of that and realize we're to live in fellowship with God. Everything we do, we're to be doing it in the name of the Lord, giving thanks. Now, the children of Israel, of course, they're, they're in Egypt. Ten plagues come. God brings them out. He drowns the enemy in the, the Red Sea. They go out in the desert. There's no food. God, literally, every morning for 40 years, God rains bread from heaven, and they just go outside and pick up the bread. Now, by the way, um, some translations in, in, in Psalms say it was the bread of heaven. Other places it says it's angel's food. I just kind of figure it's probably angel food cake, you know. But God rained it down every day. When they run out of water, Moses went out and spoke to a rock and water just came out of the rock. Now listen, here they are. It says Psalm 78. And how often they provoked him in the wilderness. Now he's out there. God has, has delivered them, destroyed their enemies, providing for them every day and grieved him in the desert. 
Yes, again and again they tempted God and they limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember His power. The day when He redeemed them from the enemy, when He worked signs and wonders in Egypt. In other words, God was there providing for them and they are complaining all the time about while well, all I get to eat is this dumb manna. And besides that, my goodness, I used to eat onions and garlic when I was in Egypt and there's no onions and garlic here. They literally, they said that. I mean, you're pretty bad when you're complaining about not having garlic. And they're just, they're just griping and they're complaining. And look what the Bible says. They limited. They limited God. God wanted to do even more for them than he was doing for them, but they limited him because of their attitude of griping and complaining. Uh, I read this this week in 2 Kings 19. It says, then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah saying, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. So he prayed and God heard. But the deal is this, God doesn't only hear when you pray. He hears when you gripe. He hears when you complain. He hears when you've got an unthankful attitude. God listens when you're speaking words of strife. He's listening all the time. And again, it's in, in Malachi where it says that God listens to those that love him and listens to what they say when they're praising God and giving thanks to God and God has it written down in a book. God's listening to what you say. And we need to have an attitude of thanksgiving, an attitude of praise, an attitude of worship. In Rome, Romans chapter 1, it says, because they did not know God. They, they, they refused to recognize him. Because what may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has shown it unto them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power, Godhead, so they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts. So God begins here by making this clear, that God's existence is evident. Uh, I read a book in the last couple of months, and, and uh, in it, there was a comment by an atheist. And he said, I am an atheist because I will not accept the alternative. In other words, he's saying, if I'm not an atheist, I have to believe there's a God. That he created this universe... And I am accountable to the God who created this universe. And I will not, cannot accept that in my mind. I do not want to be subject to God. So I am an atheist. I choose. But God says it's evident. He says it's evident to everybody. You, you, you look at a flower. You, you look up into the heavens. And especially now with the, the telescopes that we have. And we can see the, the, the magnitude and the glory of what's up in the sky. Or you just watch a child be born. And you, you, God's saying, it is evident. Uh, it was in, I believe it was 2006, when Anthony Flew, who was at that time the world's leading intellectual atheist. Uh, he was born in England. 
His parents were Methodist pastors. At the age of 15, he declared himself an atheist. He was brilliant. Went to Oxford University on a scholarship. And while at Oxford, at the Socratic Club, he would debate C.S. Lewis. How many know who C.S. Lewis is? You know, literally the, the greatest Christian apologist of the 20th century. He would debate him. And he became, writing over 40 books and articles against the existence of God, he became the leading, number one leading intellectual atheist in the world. And then in the early 2000s, when the genetic code was broke, they brought that to him and showed it to him. And this is what he said. He said, I always followed the evidence. He said, and when I saw the complexity of the genetic code, he said, I suddenly realized it is impossible. It is absolutely impossible that this could happen by chance. And so he wrote a book entitled, There Is No God With No Crossed Out. That's like the Pope and Billy Graham become an atheist. I mean, it absolutely rattled the world of intellectual atheism. And then at the close of the book, N.T. Wright wrote the appendix, arguing for the deity and the resurrection of Jesus. Amazing, amazing. It's evident when you look at this world that there is a God. It says they're without excuse. But then it says neither were they thankful. They refused to acknowledge God's existence and they weren't thankful. And it says they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Vain in their imagination. Their thoughts became uncontrolled and they became vain in their imagination. I don't know how else to say this. And I know this isn't politically correct and I'm not trying to be rude or crude. But when you refuse to acknowledge God and be thankful, you become spiritually retarded. You, just, you, 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 you no longer grasp reality. You don't think rationally. Uh, this week I noticed there was a news article about somebody who was, I guess they were fishing and they caught a shark down in Florida and then they dragged the shark behind their boat. And, and I'm, 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 you know, nobody should be cruel to animals, all right? They taste way too good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but, but I mean, you need, you know, seriously. <laughs> you know, you, 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 you need to be humane and you, you should not torture an animal. See, but that makes the news. And people are upset about that, but they aren't upset about aborting babies. See, you, you, you no longer think rational. You think totally outside the kingdom of God. And when you turn from God, it leads into darkness. It leads to darkness. Thankfulness is the greatest mental health agent there is in the world. It cleanses, it brings healing, it restores. And then in verse 28, it continues, well, <laughs> I think this really, really, I, I love this, this part here in uh, verse 23. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. In other words, this is what it's saying. It's saying, when you are not thankful to God, God becomes diminished in your mind. And you come to the point where you do not believe that God will do any more for you than a four-footed beast or a creeping thing. Uh, a four-footed beast, it's a creep, I think, of a cat. <laughs> it's, it's like God cannot do more for you than your cat. You, you get to that place. 
where, where, where you, 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 you do not recognize, you do not acknowledge who God is, what God can do. And then again, back to verse 28. For even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And then it begins to make a list here. It says being filled with all unrighteousness and sexual immorality. And, and someone once said, they said, uh, well, does this mean if I'm not thankful that I'll become a sexual pervert? No, not necessarily. Look at the list. It's long. There's a lot to choose from. Wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil mindedness, their whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So it's saying what happens when we refuse to acknowledge God, we become darkened in our understanding. We don't understand. We no longer comprehend spiritual things. We no longer see God as being viable in our life to help us in our situations. And we turn and we get involved in all sorts of wrong activities and attitudes. Now, our praise and thanksgiving should not be based on our feelings. Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. He's saying, don't let your emotions run your life. And in Hebrews 13, 15, it says, therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. You know, in the Old Testament, they might bring a grain offering or they might sacrifice an animal. But the Bible tells us that today there is still to be a sacrifice that we bring. And it is the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. It's thanking God. That is a sacrifice that we're to bring today. Now, notice it's a sacrifice because it's not when you just feel like it. How many of you know some days you feel real spiritual? Some days you don't. But this is saying when you don't, it's a sacrifice. You still bring that sacrifice of praise. When it's hard, when life is difficult, before you see the answer, you know, somebody says, well, I'm just depressed and I, I, just, I, I just can't really be thankful and grateful and praise God. But the Bible says in Isaiah 26, listen, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because you trust in him. Now, for you to have that peace, you have to have your mind stayed on him. But if your mind's going in all sorts of directions, you, you are not going to think negative thoughts and live a positive life. You're not going to think depressing thoughts and not fall into depression. That's why the Bible, right after it talks about being thankful in our prayer and that the peace of God's going to come, this is what it says. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, meditate and think on these things. It's saying if you want to have that peace of God, you've got to keep your mind stayed on him. You've got to be thinking about the right things. You can't think about the wrong things, negative things, and live in a victorious life. In fact, literally what happens is when we meditate on the Word of God, it's to paint a picture on the inside of us of what God is talking to us about, about what God is promising us. And you never see it on the outside until you first see it on the inside. Got that? God gave us a Bible to change the way we think. 
So as you meditate on that word, you see what God says on the inside, but you see it on the inside before you ever see it on the outside. Meditation takes place in your heart. And the Bible says it's with the heart that man believes. You see it on the inside first. You believe it on the inside first, then is when you're going to be able to see it. And so often we're waiting for everything to be perfect before we're going to praise, before we're going to give thanksgiving. But if you're going to wait for everything to be perfect, you're never going to give thanks to God and you're never going to praise God. There's always going to be storms. There's going to be problems. There's going to be giants. There's going to be opposition. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter seven, as he's closing the Sermon on the Mount, he said, those who hear me and don't do what I say are like a foolish person who builds their life on the sand. He said, the wind, the storms, the floods, they come against the, the, the building of their life and it falls and great is its fall. He says, but those who hear me and do my word are like a wise person who builds their house on the rock. The floods come, the winds come, the storms come, but the house stands. Notice whether you're obeying the word and doing the word or not, you're going to have wind, you're going to have storm, you're going to have flood. Jesus never said, you come to me, you'll never have problems in your life. What Jesus said, you come to me, I'll give you the wisdom and I will enable you to get through the storm. Now, the apostle Paul is preaching, this is in Acts 14, and literally they stone him to death. And uh, the, the Bible says the disciples come, they get around him and uh, I guess they're praying and, and he stands up and he goes to the next town. And, and here's Paul's sermon. This is what he says, sermon. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So he was stoned two days before. He shows up. He's got cuts. He's got black and blue eyes. I imagine he's got a broken arm or something. And he's, show, he's showing up and he says, through tribulation, you're going to enter the kingdom of God. What is he saying? He's saying, you're going to have some fights. You're going to have some battles. There's going to be some giants. There's going to be some storms. There's going to be some winds. There's going to be things that are going to beat against your life. He said, but build your life on the word. Build your life on God in fellowship and relationship with him on his promises. And when the storms come, you will come through on the other side. And again, read the end of the book. We win. I love what the angel said of the increase of his government and his kingdom. There will be no end. Kingdoms and governments, they come and they go. But of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Psalms 8 in verse 2 says, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you've ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Jesus actually quotes this and he takes the word strength and he puts in the word praise. So you have ordained praise because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. What it's saying is this, that when we begin to praise God, when we begin to be thankful, the devil gets nervous. It silences. Praise and thanksgiving is a spiritual weapon. I like to say it like this. I'm actually quoting T.D. Jakes. He said, if you are quiet and you are not thankful in praising God, the devil thinks he's winning. He thinks he's winning. But when you begin to praise him, the Bible says you silence the enemy. You silence him. 
Praise is a powerful, powerful weapon. Now, obviously, there's a time to confront the devil. The Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil. He'll flee from you. There may be times when you need to bind the devil, right? But listen, listen here to 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 11. At least Satan should take advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. Therefore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, to preach Christ's gospel. Now he's saying, look, we understand how the devil works. And what he did when he came to Troas, he did not fast and pray for 30 days and bind the devil. Now, this was the Roman Empire. In every major metropolis, even small cities, they would have huge temples to Zeus, to, to Jupiter, to different uh, Roman deities that were worshipped. But he didn't go in and bind the spirit of Zeus or the spirit of Jupiter. What he did was he went in and he preached the gospel. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that the gospel, it is the power of God to everyone who believes. Now, he, the way that he addressed the devil was he spoke the truth of the gospel, what Jesus Christ has done for us. You know, when we believe that gospel, the Bible says he's delivered us from the power of darkness, translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Praise, when, when we praise God, it just drives the devil back. In fact, as he's preaching there, people are getting saved, but there's this one demon-possessed girl, and she comes up behind him, and the Bible says that she had a spirit of divination. She was a fortune teller, and she's yelling and saying, they're showing you the way of salvation, and Paul cast that spirit out. And when the owners, because she was a slave, recognized that they could no longer make a profit by her fortune telling, they went to the authorities. They had Paul and Silas arrested. They whipped them. They took them. They put them in a dungeon, put their hands and feet in stocks. And the Bible says it's midnight. And you know what they did? They did not go, Satan, we bind you in Jesus' name. Here's what they did. The Bible says they begin to sing praise and thanksgiving to God. And when they did, the power of God hit that jail. And the Bible says every single shackle fell off, every door opened up. You know, when you begin to praise God, when you begin to be thankful, it brings the power of God onto the scene, into our life, into our family, our business, our finances, our health, our body, whatever it is that we need. And so often we do not have that attitude. We don't have that attitude of praise and thanksgiving. Let me close with this. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, this is uh, Moses is just about to die. In fact, the book of Deuteronomy is written in one day. The whole book, Moses is writing it. It's right before he goes up on Mount Nebo to die. And he said, the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, fountains and springs that flows out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines, of fig trees, of pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. And land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land in whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And when you've eaten and are full, you'll bless the Lord your God for all the good land which he has given you. Now listen, but be careful. At least you say in your heart, my power in the might of my hand has gained me all this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God. 
For it is he who gives you the power, the ability, the giftedness, the ingenuity, the favor to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swore unto your fathers, even as it is this day. This is what God's saying. He said, I bless you so much you don't know what to do. He says, you, you, you're eating without scarcity. You've got all sorts of good things. You live in a nice, beautiful house. You got a nice car to drive. Your car has a house. You're just blessed. And what do you do? I'm really good at my job. Yeah, I'm good. You won't you, you want expect me to give to church? I worked hard for that money. It's mine. And God said, no, no, you need to understand this. I'm the one who gave you the ability that you have. I'm the one who gave you that giftedness. I'm the one who gave you favor. I'm the one who gave you understanding. I'm the one who opens doors for you. And you need to remember the Lord your God. You need to have a thankful heart. You, you need to begin to praise him and thank him and worship him for what he has done. Don't let your relationship with God be all about give me this, give me that, give me the next thing. We need to have a relationship with God where we're fellowshipping with him, where we're thankful, where we're in communion with him, where we're praising him for who he is and for all that he has done. Say, so would you bow your heads for just a moment? If you're here and you are right with God, you say, I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm right with God and I know I'm on my way to heaven. Would you lift your hand right now? Thank you. Thank you. Would you put that hand down? Would you pray for just a moment? If you're here and you're not right with God and you want to be right with God, I want you to listen very carefully. In just a moment, I'm going to count to three. When I say three, I want you to lift that hand. and We're going to pray together and God's going to meet you right here in this place. But here's what you need to understand. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except by me. All of your efforts to get right with God will never make you right. All of mine could never make me right. See, good people do not go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And everybody's welcome. Everybody gets in the same way. Everyone can meet the requirements. But Jesus is the only way. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. You need to give him all of your heart and all of your life. You need to receive him. The Bible says in John chapter one, to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. It's not enough that you know about him. You need to receive him as your Lord, as your King. You need to give him your life, holding nothing back. Jesus said, you must be born again. You must give him all of your heart and all of your life. He's not a thief to steal it, a manipulator to take you from it, take it from you. So if you have not consciously given him and left your life in his hands, then you have it and you need to give it to him today. So whether you're away from the Lord, once lived for him, but aren't, or you've never given your life to him, once you get ready to lift your hand when I say three. As you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying to God is this. I know I'm a sinner and need a savior. I'm coming to Jesus to be forgiven, and to be saved. One, as you lift your hand, you're saying today, I'm receiving Jesus. I'm giving him all of my heart, all of my life. I'm holding nothing back. Two, get ready. As you lift your hand, you say today by faith, Jesus is coming into my heart. He will blood wash me from my sin. Make me a new person on the inside, a part of God's kingdom on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up. Just say, pray with me, pray with me. Thank you. I see that hand and that hand and that hand. Are there others? Include me, Pastor. Just lift it up high. Thank you. God bless you. 
God bless you up in the balcony. Include me, Pastor. I'm not where I should be. Thank you. God bless you. Somebody else. Thank you. God bless you. God bless. Way in the back over here to my right. Another hand over here. Thank you. Would everybody just take one hand and place it over your heart this morning? Lift your other hand towards heaven. We're going to pray with everyone who lifted their hand. Now make these words your own. Pray this from your heart, but out loud say, Oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. Today I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I'm not going to live for myself any longer. I'm going to live for Jesus every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. That I'm forgiven. That my past is gone. I'm a part of your kingdom. Today and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen.